You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. So today's reading is Romans 15, verses 1 to 13. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hi, DPC. Let's pray as we come to think about God's word. Father God, we thank you for the letter of Paul to the Romans. And we thank you that it is relevant to us as well, that it teaches us about you and how to live as your people. And so we pray that you would be with us now uh, so that we would uh, know how to love and serve you better. Amen. Disunity in the local church detracts from the glory of God. There are many things that Christians do which dishonor God, but disunity is one of the worst. Not just because it brings shame to God's name, but because when Christians are not united, they can't join together in declaring God's glory. And it's all too easy for our unity to be disrupted. We can argue over how to run our church. We can gossip and grumble about things that we don't like. We can be fed up with people who seem to just be a drain on our time and resources, or they just don't pull their own weight. We can divide over issues like politics or schooling or parenting or money. When we are divided, outsiders look at us and shake their heads because we're no better than any other group. This does not bring glory to God. When we are divided, we become focused on ourselves and our problems. We think about how we can get what we want or how we can avoid those people that we don't really like. This does not bring glory to God. When we are divided, we fail to give God the glory he deserves. In Romans 15, Paul teaches us that unity in the local church is for the glory of God. So he therefore shows us some ways that we can grow in our unity as a local church. 
it's particularly important that we think about this topic as a church because it's been a challenging year. COVID-19 has knocked us about so that many of us are feeling tired or stressed or lonely. And it has also separated us during lockdown, which means we might find it hard when we begin to gather again in person. We've gotten used to our own company and developing new spiritual rhythms and patterns. We might find that spending time with other people again is awkward or draining or even just highlights our differences. We need to hear this message from God's word today. Unity in the local church is for the glory of God. But how can we grow in unity? Well, Paul answers that question with five ways we can grow. The first way is for us to be aware of our purpose as a church. We must understand that we exist for God's glory. Have a look at verses 6 and 7 if you've got your Bible open. I'll read it out for us. Romans 15, verses 6 and 7. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. The word glorify and the word praise are basically the same word. And when we praise God, we're actually glorifying him. And we praise God by acknowledging who he is and responding to what he has done. We praise him for his beauty and his greatness, for his kindness and his majesty, for his perfections and his power. We praise God for his wonderful plan of salvation and the way in which he rescued us at such a great cost. This glorifying of God is the ultimate goal of our existence. You know, we don't thank God for saving us and then look to higher and greater things to live for. There is no one greater than God. There is nothing greater than God. And so God is the goal. When we lack unity as the people of God, we struggle to live out this purpose. We become more worried about ourselves and then our fellow brothers and sisters can become roadblocks to our personal goals. You know, they're roadblocks to our glory, our reputation. And so we look down on others in pride who aren't doing as well as us. Or we look up at others in jealousy. We distance ourselves from those who hold us back. We give up on those who are too much hard work. And this leads to disunity. And it prevents us from uniting as one to glorify God. We can't actually live out verse 6. So the first step in growing in unity is to understand that we exist for God's glory. And this sets aside all human priorities and puts our focus on God. The second way we can grow in unity is to follow Paul's command, the strong must bear with the weak. Have a look at verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. This continues the theme from chapter 14. Last week, Aaron showed us that we should accept our Christian brothers and sisters who see disputable matters differently to us. Chapter 15 continues and sums up that teaching. But I also believe Paul becomes more general in his focus. The weak here aren't just the weak in faith like they were in the previous chapter. The weak here include those who are weak in general, like the young or the elderly, the sick or the injured. They are weak in their ability or their power. And let's be honest, it takes effort to help the weak. 
It means putting aside our needs and concerns so that we can care for them. We might need to slow down. We might need to carry more of the load. We might need to be more flexible. Paul says we are to bear with the failings of the weak. Now that word failing is probably not the most helpful word because for some of us it might imply that the weak are doing something wrong. Well, sometimes they are, but not always. The weak are those who are powerless or immature or struggling or burdened or suffering. And let's be honest, don't we all fit into those categories at different times? We all have areas in our life where we aren't as strong as we'd like. We all need our church family to bear with us at times and in different areas. And bearing with someone is not just kind of putting up with them. You know, you close your eyes and just don't say anything. It's actually about being proactive and helping out. And so this leads to the third way we can grow in unity. We should seek to please others for their good. Have a look at verse 2. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. We are to love all people, but especially those in our church family. This is what fosters unity. This is part of how we bear with the weak. And our motivation for bearing with them is about seeking to please them for their good. Now, this isn't about people pleasing. Paul's not arguing that we should pander to whatever requests others make of us. If someone decides that it's too much effort to have church each week, we're not going to cut back to fortnightly church services just to please them. Instead, seeking their good is about seeking what will build them up. We bear with the weak out of love for them so that they are built up in faith and maturity in Christ. And when we do this for each other, we will all grow together in maturity, but also in unity. And this unity is not just seen in our behaviours, but also our beliefs and attitudes. This is the fourth way that we can grow in unity. We can nurture common beliefs and attitudes. This is a tricky idea that might kind of trouble or confuse some of you. So let's study verse 5 carefully. Uh, check it out in your Bible. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Here's the key phrase. The same attitude of mind toward each other. It could simply mean we have the same attitude as Jesus. You know, that we love others and care for them, about our posture towards them. But it's stronger than that. Paul wants there to be a level of unity of thought. It's an attitude of the mind rather than the heart. It's what we think. In Philippians 2, Paul makes a similar argument where he says this. Uh, in verses 2, 3 and 4. Uh, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, than, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. The local church is to be of one mind, to have a unity of thought. This relates to both beliefs and attitudes. And when we are united in this way, we're able to glorify God together. It's exactly what Paul goes on to say in Romans 15, verse 6. Have a listen. 
uh, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, having one mind doesn't mean we'll agree on everything, though. I mean, that's what Romans 14 reminds us about. But it does mean that we will be united in our understanding of Christ and what he came to do. Paul has argued persuasively throughout his letter that all humans have fallen short of God's demands and so are declared unrighteous and unfit for eternal life. Righteousness is not found through the law or good deeds, but through trusting in Jesus who died on the cross in our place. These are the sorts of truths that we are to have a common mind about, and they will help us to maintain our focus on Christ to the glory of God. And as we continue to fix our eyes on Christ, we will grow in the same attitude of mind as one another. Now, on top of the beliefs that we are to agree on, we are also to agree on the sorts of attitudes we should have towards one another. This too will lead to unity. We agree to treat each other with love and respect and patience. We agree to give the benefit of the doubt when we think our brother or sister may have sinned. If we don't have godly attitudes towards each other, then we won't bear with the weak, nor will we seek to please others. And having a common mind will help us to know how best to please others because we've got the same goals in mind. It will help us to know where to draw the line on accommodating people. This will enable us to be united in praise of God. The final way we can grow in unity is to accept one another as family. Have a look at verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Who's accepting of whom brings praise to God? Uh, at first it looks like Christ accepted you, which then brings praise to God. But I actually think it's when we accept one another that God is praised. That's what Paul's saying. When Christians treat each other as family, God is glorified. One of the key reasons why this brings glory to God is because true Christian acceptance transcends all human barriers. In Rome, the church was struggling to overcome the cultural divide between Jews and Gentiles. So Paul had to teach clearly and authoritatively into that situation. And these truths apply to all cultural and social divides. We accept believers from any country or nationality. We accept rich and poor alike. We also accept Christians who are disabled, those who have been excluded by society, those who may have previously attacked the church but have now embraced Jesus. We accept Christians who sit at a different spot on the political spectrum to us. Christianity transcends all cultures and human divisions. We can accept one another as family. Now, it doesn't mean that we'll always agree on matters. Because even natural biological families don't always agree and get along. But healthy families work through their tensions. They stay united despite their differences. So there are five ways we can grow in unity. And when we grow in this unity, we can glorify God together. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? Sadly, the church is well known for division and fighting. We often fail to glorify God with one voice. And so we need to acknowledge we can't do this on our own. It's not sheer willpower that makes the difference. So what help do we have? Well, Paul shows us in this passage that we have the example of Christ 
the teachings of Scripture, and the power of God to help us in becoming united. Before we get to these, though, uh, let's make sure we have our gospel framework in place. Paul is writing to us as Christians. We are those who have admitted that we are spiritually weak and in need of saving. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the debt that we owe to God for our rebellion against our Creator. Jesus used his strength to endure the death that we cannot endure. He helped the weak and so gave us a model. But before he's a model, he is first the means by which we can seek unity within our church. You see, when we repent and believe in Jesus, we receive forgiveness from God and a new identity as his beloved children. This means we're set free from having to prove ourselves in an effort to kind of be at peace within or having to feed our ego by putting, uh, getting everyone to affirm us or agree with us on every topic. The gospel liberates me from fruitlessly seeking unity around myself and it enables me to do what I was actually made for, uniting with other people around God. Uh, this is part of how to apply Romans 12 verse 1 to live in view of God's mercy or his grace by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. God's grace liberates us and then motivates us to live out our new identity. And so now with that gospel framework in mind, we can look at the three helps that Paul points to us in this chapter for seeking a church unity that glorifies God. Uh, the first help is the example of Christ. In verse 3, Paul speaks of how he suffered for the sake of others. After arguing that the strong should bear with the weak and that all Christians should seek to please their neighbours, we read this in verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Paul quotes from Psalm 69 verse 9 here to show that Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who didn't live to please himself. Jesus endured scorn for the sake of God the Father. As he hung on the cross, the human insults intended for God fell upon Jesus, God's servant. And even though Jesus was strong, he chose not to please himself. Instead, he suffered so as to please the Father and to do us good. We can sometimes feel that helping others will only hold us back and drain our time and energy and resources. But Jesus models to us what it looks like to set aside our rights and desires so as to help others and glorify God. Yes, his bearing with the failings of the weak was costly, but it was also worth it. The second way in which Christ is an example comes in verse 7. He accepts sinners for God's glory. We are to therefore accept one another because Jesus has already accepted us. We're already welcome. Jesus was was perfect and he's the strongest one there ever was. Yet he accepted you. So surely you in your imperfections can accept other imperfect Christians whom Jesus has also accepted. Following Christ's example will help us grow in unity. The second help Paul lists is the teachings of Scripture. After quoting Psalm 69 as an example for us, Paul then writes this in verse 4. For everything that was written in the past 
was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Uh, It seems an odd place for Paul to start defending his use of the Old Testament since he's been quoting from the Jewish scriptures for the past 14 chapters. But he's showing that the Old Testament doesn't just back up his theological arguments. It also builds up Christians today and provides spiritual support. Everything that was written in the past wasn't just for the first readers, but also for us living thousands of years later. And we can apply that same principle to the letter to the Romans. It wasn't just written for the church in Rome, but also for us. And as an aside, this is why in our church we study the Old Testament, not just the New Testament. Let's briefly touch on two points about how the scripture helps us in growing in unity. Number one, it teaches endurance and provides encouragement leading to hope. In other words, the Bible has a very real spiritual effect on us. It's not a self-help book with good advice. It's the living word of God where we meet our creator and are transformed. One of the main goals of the Bible's work in our lives is to give us hope. Hope that God is real and he is really at work in the world. Hope that one day all will be made right and we just need to persevere. Hope that although we fail, Jesus never will. It does this by showing us how real people have been helped by God's real work in the world and that we can really be helped too. Number two, the scripture proves God's plan to fulfill the promises to the Jews and offer mercy to the Gentiles. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Paul states that Jesus has served the Jews by fulfilling the promises God made to their patriarchs. And Jesus has served the Gentiles by making a way for them to join the people of God. As we saw in Romans 11, Gentile believers are grafted into the olive tree of Israel. After stating what Jesus has done, Paul then uses four quotes from the Old Testament to back this up. And we don't have time to explore them, but there are two themes that unites them. The first is that they all mention the Gentiles, the nations. Paul is proving that God has always planned to bring non-Jews into his people. The second is that this leads to rejoicing and praise. In other words, to God being glorified. You know, at times we can feel that it's hopeless trying to create unity in the church. But when we study the Bible, we are taught that God is the one who ultimately unites people. He united Jews and Gentiles who had long been separated. And he brings about this sort of unity so that we will glorify God. So we can trust that God will work through our efforts today at church unity so that he might be glorified. This then leads on to the third and final help Paul describes in this passage, the power of God. Paul offers up two prayers in this passage which reveal how God is the one that makes unity possible. The first is found in verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Did you notice how in verse 4, the scriptures give endurance and encouragement? 
Well, we see here that God is their source. He is the power behind the scripture because he is the God of endurance and encouragement. And he gives these two qualities or experiences to us, particularly through the study of the Bible. And he does this so that we can do what verse 6 says. We can glorify God. The second prayer is to the God of hope. It's found in verse 3 and also links to verse 4. The scriptures offer us hope, and we see here God is the power behind that as well. Check it out. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the God of hope. And the Father uses the Holy Spirit to fill us with that hope. And as we come to know God more, we will glorify him and overflow with hope. So, how can we be confident that our attempts at unity can ever be successful? Because the God of endurance, encouragement and hope will supply the power that we need. And this just further adds to his own glory. I mean, how generous is God that he demands that we bring him glory, but he empowers us to do that, which just multiplies his glory. What an amazing God that we serve. I hope you can see then from this passage that unity in the church is for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God because as individuals, we exist for God's glory. And when we unite in local churches, we multiply and magnify that glory. As we grow in unity and love, we are able to better praise God for who he is and what he's done. So let's finish now by looking at what this means for our own local church and how we can strive for glorious unity at DPC. I have three encouragements. And I'll give some ideas on what each might look like as we start to come out of COVID lockdown. These relate to three of the six M's that we're passionate about. Hopefully you've heard us talk about them. Do you know what they are? Uh, mission, magnification, membership, uh, maturity, ministry, and mercy. Uh, these three encouragements I'm going to speak about relate to membership, maturity, and ministry. Uh, the first, the membership one, is that I encourage you to Lovingly commit yourself to your church family for God's glory. We can unwittingly act like church is about our glory. We want a church that suits our every need and preference so we can be comfortable. But Paul has reminded us that it's in the very midst of our disagreements and differences that we live out the gospel, uniting around Christ for God's glory. A lot has been on hold this year. And some of us may have drifted from our church community or gotten used to doing church on our own terms. Now is the time to recommit to your church family. So why not prioritise your home visits, your social time to include people from church? And don't forget to consider those who might not have many friends at DPC and could especially benefit from an invitation. Every person matters. The second encouragement is to continually grow in thinking like Christ for God's glory. This is about maturity, our personal maturity. You know, we can too easily feel that we've made it in the Christian life and everyone else just needs to grow up and align themselves with us. But Paul paints a picture of Christians who are continually learning, continually growing, continually reading the scriptures so that they can endure with one another and come to have one mind. During lockdown, it's been easy to get used to doing things our own way. 
Perhaps we've turned to entertainment and social media to get by, leaving our Bible reading to the side. Well, now's the time to remind yourself of the core Christian truths so that your mind is shaped by the gospel. You pick up your Bible and read through the book of Romans again. Read a gospel. This will refresh you on what it is that actually unites us. And the final encouragement is to selflessly serve your church family for God's glory. It takes effort to bear with the failings of the week, to serve those who need help. It takes time to patiently sit down and speak with those who are slow to learn or quick to judge. It takes the power of God at work in us to please others rather than ourselves so that they might be built up. So it certainly helps to remember that we do this for the glory of God and not for our own glory. This encouragement relates to our passionate DPC for ministry. As we start to gather together again as a church, there'll be lots of opportunities for service. It'll take a lot of work to get our in-person ministries happening again. And so now is the time to get ready for serving. Also, it will take selfless serving as we bear with people who might want to move more slowly than us, who might have extra needs or sensitivities. We will need to go the extra mile for the good of our brothers and sisters and for the glory of God. As we commit to one another, as we continually grow, and as we selflessly serve, we will come to be more and more united. And the group of broken, sinful, weak, proud people that we happen to call Darabin Presbyterian Church will continually grow in Christ-likeness, will continue to grow in unity so that together we can give glory to the God who loves us. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful call to unity in this passage. We thank you for uh, the example of Christ, the teachings of the scriptures, and your power that is at work in us. Help us to consider ways in which uh, we can know what things to unite around, uh, to remember our purpose in doing that, that it's for your glory. And I pray that you would help our church uh, to grow in unity more and more, not so that we can praise ourselves, but so that we can praise you. Amen.